I will have to conclude a bit earlier than usual. I have some other engagements today. So we saw ayah number seven. A'udhu billahi min ash-shaytan al-rajim. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. وَإِذَا خَذْنَا مِنَ النَّبِيِّينَ مِثَاقَهُمْ وَمِنْكَ وَمِنْ نُوحٍ وَإِبْرَاهِيمَ وَمُوسَى وَعِيسَى بْنِ مَرْيَمَ وَأَخَذْنَا مِنْهُمْ مِثَاقًا قَضِيفًا Remember the time when we took from the prophets their covenant and from you and from Nuh, and from Ibrahim, and Musa, and Isa, the son of Maryam. And we took from them a very heavy uh, covenant. You know, a very profound and solemn covenant. This is a primordial event that took place before the prophets the Anbiya came to this world. For that we must appreciate the phases of human beings' life and existence. We were in our mother's womb before we came to this world. So that is very obvious to all of us. Then before that, we were somewhere in the Arwah in the spiritual world, the world of the, what we call the spirits, and that is mentioned in so many hadith that we cannot deny that existence. The Prophet said that the angels carry the ruh and the spirit of every human being into the mother's womb, into the fetus. After four months, so we know that wherever that ruh is stored is the place where that ruh, that ruh and spirit resides. So there must be a place there, some space where we are all stored, quote unquote. That's also through the hadith. Anyway, so. We know from uh, Islamic, what we call metaphysics, and perhaps you want to call it ontology, and different phases of a human being's existence, and cosmology, that there are layers of existence for creation. So before we came to the mother's womb, we were somewhere. What is that somewhere, and what name do you give it? Now that's up to you, as a scholar, whatever name you want to give it. Most people call it the alam of the arwah, the world of the arwah, the spirits or the ruh, and that is a place which is only very abstract, because there's no body there, and there's no form. The ruh. The spirit has no form. 
but is there is consciousness and there is awareness. How we forgot. We all there, but we have forgotten because Allah made us forget. In that world, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, in the primordial existence, uh, this is where we, 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 we began. In that primordial existence, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala took a covenant from all of us, which is mentioned in the Quran in Surah Al-Araf. That is called the covenant and the ahad of alastu. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said to all of us, from the children and offspring of Adam salam, and question, asked all of us, alastu bi rabbikum, am I not your Lord? Qalu bala, and every one of us said yes, of course you are. So that happened, that is a covenant, and that's the first covenant that we know of from the Quran. We don't know anything before we came into this world. Now we know something about what happens in the mother's womb. But we don't know anything about us before the mother's womb. That comes from wahi. That doesn't come from human experience or empirical methods of learning, investigation, that is beyond our intellect. So what is beyond our intellect, prenatal and preconception and post-life, that you need nabuwa and wahi for. So what the Nabi brings to the discussion of knowledge and existence and ontology is what happens to us before we come and after we leave. Before we come into the world in the mother's womb and after we leave this world, the human being's mind doesn't have the ability to access that world, nor does it have the ability to process the knowledge of those worlds. So we need nabuwa and prophethood. And when they receive wahi, they tell us, so the only way we know is through uh, wahi to the Prophet. And that is why we say it's in the Quran. The modern day scientists don't believe. If you believe only in what modern day scientists say, then you are not a Muslim. Right? Because then you don't believe in the world of the graves, you don't believe in the hereafter and resurrection. You don't believe in this, this ayah and ayat that are very similar to this ayah. So therefore you're not a Muslim because you're denying what Allah is saying. So the role of wahi is to inform you of what a human being is not able to access or process. Where the Nabi does and he receives wahi, he accesses that knowledge and then he processes that knowledge. So... The first covenant, primordial covenant, is mentioned in Surah Al-Araf. And there we were all subject to a question and answer session in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we all said yes. That's the first. Every human being. Apart from Adam. 
Adamadam was already created. Now, the second covenant that the Quran speaks of is in Surah Ali Imran, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala took a covenant from every Nabi. From where? From whom? Every Nabi. Right. That every Nabi was made to take a covenant to believe in Muhammad and to assist him in his mission and message. And they all said yes. Yes, we believe in Muhammad is coming and we will assist him. So this covenant, Ahad and Mithaq was taken from every Nabi who was to become a Nabi in this world. And they all believed in Muhammad and they all assisted him. How did they assist him? By informing their people and their communities that Muhammad will come and he will be the last messenger. So every person who believed in a Nabi of Allah believed that Muhammad is the last Nabi. It was part of their aqidah. It was part of their Islam. Right? How do you know this? The Quran is saying this. First of all, the ayah in the Surah Al-Imran is saying this. And secondly, that we all know that the Quran speaks about Isa salam where he's telling his people, وَمُبَشِّرًا بِرَسُولِ يَأْتِي مِنْ بَعْدِ اسْمُهُ أَحْمَدِ That I've come to give you, O Banu Israel, O children of Israel, meaning the Hebrews. And I've come to give you glad tidings of a Nabi, who will, of a Rasul who will come after me, and his name is Ahmad. So Isa salam being the penultimate Nabi, reveals uh, the name of the Prophet ﷺ to his people as did others before him. As did others before him. So now some of you say, well, the Christians don't believe this. Uh, come again. Are you Christian? Can you give yourselves a break? Don't you know that you're not Christian? And why are you trying to defend the Christian faith when you're not Christian? No. Do you believe? That's the question. If you believe, then you're Muslim. How come they don't believe? Well, well, you go and ask them, why do they don't believe? Why are you asking us? But that's beside the point. Isa al-Islam, categorically in Surah Al-Saf, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala quotes him, that he came to deliver the message to everybody who is in the Bani Israel, meaning Isa al-Islam's people, because Isa al-Islam was also Hebrew. He's also from the Jewish tradition. So he tells his people, I'm going to tell you about this uh, Rasul, this messenger. He's going to come and his name is Ahmad and he is the last of all Anbiya, alayhi salatu wassalam. Sometimes, even if these ayat okay, are not uh, clear to some people, they are to us, we will say there are ayat in the Quran that tells us categorically, explicitly, that not only is Muhammad mentioned in the, the previous scriptures and in primordial covenants, 
but uh, the Sahaba are also mentioned in previous scriptures. Not only him, but his followers. And that is in uh, end of Surah Al-Fatah. Uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, And in Surah Al-Araf also, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes the attributes and the qualities of the Sahaba. That these are their examples in the Quran, in the Torah, and these are the examples in the Torah. Whose? The Sahabas. And that's at the end of Surah Fatah. So now if the Quran says that uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has described in previous scripture the followers of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa then by default he must have described the Prophet himself. Right. But this is in this world of revelation. In the world of primordial existence, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala took a covenant from every Nabi that Muhammad is going to be your Nabi and you will believe in him and you will assist him. And they all agreed. And they all confirmed that they believed. This is what the Prophet meant when he said that I am the first one that was appointed as a Nabi and I am the last one to be sent. I am the first one to be appointed as a Nabi and I am the last one to be sent in the world. Kuntu Nabiyan wa Adamu bainul ma'yutin. One hadith of Prophet is that I was Nabi while Adam now dough was being needed. Yeah. Even as Adam has been formed, the clay of Adam has been formed by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The Prophet said I was a Nabi even at that time. So the primordial uh, confirmation of our existence is there in the Quran and the primordial covenant to all human beings of the Ahd al-Ast is there in the Quran and this primordial covenant to all Anbiya is there in the Quran and this ayah is now the third covenant. This ayah is what? The third such covenant of a, a primordial covenant where before Human beings came into the mother's wounds. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala spoke to them. And everybody to whom Allah spoke had consciousness, awareness and intellect with which they confirmed what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was asking them to confirm. Right. However, now you'll say, well, that doesn't make too much sense because then if we forgot, then why is God punishing us? That is not a world of taklif. In the primordial sense, okay, what we did by default is not going to be uh, a reason why Allah will punish us if we have forgotten. The reason why Allah will judge us is what we do in this world. After we attain puberty in this world and become adults in this world, our actions are questionable and we are now responsible. We are not responsible for anything else that happens or occurs before that. So this is Darut Taklif. This is the abode where we become legally responsible. So you should not jump the gun and say, well, that doesn't make sense. No, it makes perfect sense. Right. If you're going to be uh, studying medicine and law and God knows what, and you know that at the end you're going to be taking your board exams and your bars. Right. 
then you don't say that uh, why why should I be judged while I'm taking the bar and taking the boards for my understanding of what I knew already was going to happen 15 years ago. So you don't go back in time. You stay in the present and you understand that your role in the present is to do what you know you should do now. Not what you should have done before you came into this world. Anyway, that's a slightly different discussion here. In this ayah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, remember the time when we took from the prophets their uh, covenant. Which prophets? These that are enumerated in this ayah. Waminka. From you, O Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa we took a covenant from you. Who is there with you in this third covenant? Wamin Nuh. Nuh alayhi The first of all the Mursaloon, as we call them, the Rasul. Nuh came to reform his people and he was given guidance from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala vis-a-vis daily life and law and behavior and so on. Ibrahim, so Nuh is uh, the second Adam uh, on earth, as you know. And then Ibrahim salam being the the, uh, the father of monotheism, the, the, the uh, archetype uh, prophet for Tawheed, before Nabuwa, or Musa, Musa salam is seen as uh, the Nabi and the Rasul who came down with the Torah and came down with the rules and regulations to form a community that lives by law and order and eventually becomes a civilization and an ummah. And Wa'is ibn Maryam and the penultimate Nabi, the last but one Nabi, Isa salam, now who is at the end of the chain of the Banu Israel. Right. The last Nabi from the Banu Israel, Isa, the son of Maryam, salam. This covenant was a very severe covenant that these uh, Anbiya they were asked to stay firm no matter what happens to them in their lives another eye of the Quran Allah subhanahu wa says these are the Anbiya of tremendous resolve that the the, the uh, uh, the resistance against these, the Prophet Nuh Ibrahim Musa and Isa was so so uh, daunting that uh, they were uh, singled out and selected by Allah Subhanahu wa Taala in this primordial existence. That when you come into the world, this is going to happen, and you will show your resolve there, so that you show others. That when you want to make a change and a difference in the world, you you stay and remain firm, and you have resolution, and you are resolute, and you do whatever needs to be done to deliver the message. This is now the mifaq and galiga, the very critical, uh, the very very uh, daunting covenant that these prophets. Agreed to. Now, if you look at the lives of these prophets, you'll see that this is what happened. The Prophet as you will see in the following story, the story of the Ahzab 
in the battle of the ditch and so on, you see the resolve of the Prophet and the Sahaba with him. Nuh salam's resolve, subhanAllah, mashallah, 950 years, almost a millennium. In these 950 years, what happened and what could have happened and what should have happened, that's all in the Quran itself and through the other stories that we know of, we see that it is, it is impossible to conceive of someone living for 950 years, number one. Number two, that it is impossible to, 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 to fathom the patience and the resolve and the resilience and the persistence and the sabr of uh, someone who went for 950 years. We can't do it for 950 minutes, never mind 950 years. Right. So you go to one person, he tells you, uh, go away, don't preach. That's the end of our resolve. We can't do it with our families, we can't do it with our friends, we can't do it with our neighbors, we can't do it with the community, and we simply can't do it with the Ummah either. So for some one human being to withstand the resistance from people, day in and day out, now shows you that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had prepared him, Nuh salam, primordially. Before even he came into his mother's womb, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala prepared him. His subconscious was already there that he'd be able to, to, to withstand the pressure of human society with all the changes that come over 950 years. Quite well, amazing. You think about it, Nuh salam's life is a true miracle Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allowed him to live for so long and then not only that he gave him the resolve to, to uh, withstand the pressure of his people and his community until the flood came where Ibrahim Ibrahim al-Islam's resolve uh, is uh, also very well documented in the Quran that he was uh, tried and persecuted not only by his people his own father and also the ruler of that time the Namrud at a civilizational level and he withstood all the pressures of the community, society and the civilization being a standalone pioneer of Tawheed and Iman and faith in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala calls him one civilization that Ibrahim is a single civilization himself one man becomes a whole ummah in Ibrahim ummatan Ibrahim is an ummah one man represents the whole civilizational value and code of living and ethics and behavior. That is a tremendous uh, commendation that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives Ibrahim alayhi salam. That if you want uh, as a human being to become a, a total package for other human beings, uh, where other human beings will follow you, then you understand Ibrahim alayhi salam's resolve. And Allah prepared him for that and his task. Well, Musa, Musa as you know, very well documented in the Quran, his life is at um, maybe two or three phases. The phase one, where he was raised by the Fir'aun in the palace in luxury. Phase two, where he is now in the desert. He has nothing except his goats, and he's a shepherd. And then phase three is where he comes to deliver the people of Musa, of uh, his own people, from the wrath of Fir'aun. And then phase four is his... Uh, life with the Banu Israel 
with the Torah in the desert again. So each phase now has its uh, uh, details, each phase has its challenges, and that every phase Musa is resolute and firm. He does not waver, he does not shake, and his story, as you know, is very well documented throughout the Quran. So this ayah is now saying to us that this is a mithaq and a very, very severe and harsh and very astounding resolution that these people came to terms with. And it is how Muslims will see their Nabi Muhammad sallallahu also. For Isa ibn Maryam, Isa, the son of Maryam, salam, his story is also in several phases, several life phases, his birth, and then his immediate, immediate announcement of his own prophethood in his mother's arms and cradle. That's phase one. His miraculous birth. And then his announcement of being a Nabi while he's still a baby. That is also a miracle. And then the, the, uh, his trial and persecution by the, his own people and the others who were there, the Romans at that time. But despite all of that, he resolved to stay with the message and to deliver the message. And then phase, the phase he is in now, in the heavens. We believe as Muslims, Isa salam did not die on the cross. He was raised in the heavens and he is there in the heavens as we speak. And then the final phase is when he comes back down to earth where he will have tremendous resolve and he will be a follower of Muhammad sallam and lead people towards Islam and so on. Okay. This all takes tremendous uh, resolve and patience and resistance. All of these great inner qualities that come with a human being. Now, you'll say other human beings also show this kind of resolve and world leaders and other social workers and reformers and others who are perhaps scientists or you know, academics and even soldiers and normal human beings also have this resolve. You might know some of them in your own lives. You're amazed by the ability of a human being to stick with a plan and to see it through. Yeah. But those are very microscopic. Yeah. They don't have any other purpose than, uh, you know, the individual's uh, mission. Some of them succeed and some of them fail. Right. If they're political or if they're based on military expansionism or if they're based on reform and if they're based on social justice or education or altruism and being compassionate to other human beings. Uh, this is not unheard of in human society, this type of resolve. So we're not denying that. Yeah. Now, what we are saying is that these prophets, because they're by, by, by definition, they're Nabi, and they have, first of all, the human resolve, which others have, but they also have the burden of wahi, the burden of nabuwa. The burden of wahi and nabuwa, prophethood, gives them a ranking that the others don't have. What is the burden of nabuwa? The burden of nabuwa is to inform people that I have been given knowledge that you don't have, 
and I know something about the future that you don't know. Now you can imagine the resistance and the anger that human beings will throw at such a person who makes such a daunting claim. And that is why people turn to atheism because they don't want to hear this nonsense, quote-unquote, about life after death and about Jannah and Jahannam and about Hisab and accountability and about the divine and the divine will and order. All they care about is out of this limited scope in this world. So in this limited scope in this world, invariably and no doubt, there will be human beings who are resolute and they will see their mission through. And people may erect monuments for their accomplishments and they may have a national day to commemorate who they were, what they stood for and so on. But that is as part of the equation. The other part of the equation is to be a benefactor for human beings in such a way that you help them do what? Create a life after death which is a conundrum. It's a paradox. How do you tell people, I'm going to help you create a life after you die? You're crazy one. I'm going to die and you say, there's another life after I die? Now, people who believe will believe, but even if they believe, they still behave as if they don't believe in this world. So the, the, the resolve of a Nabi is to remind also. It's not just to inform, but to remind. So there's a reminder component in every life of uh, in the life of every nabi, where he continuously and constantly reminds people okay, that there is life after death, and I'm going to help you create that life after death, so that you are not doomed in the afterlife in the other world, and that requires tremendous resolve, sincerity. Okay. You can say that you're going to work for social justice and I'm going to give my life to social justice and I'll do this. And, and Now, you may have done that and no doubt for your good deeds you'll be rewarded. Whichever way God chooses to reward you, whether it's in this world or the other world. We're not going to play God here. What we are saying is that when you want to measure the benefactor component that uh, people are beneficial to each other and to maybe the whole cause of the planet, then you cannot, as a Muslim, detach the other world from this equation. If somebody says, I'll provide social justice for everybody on the planet. Okay, very good. Allah make that happen. Whether it will happen or not, that's the mission. People have tried and they're still trying, and we should do our part also in trying to get some kind of justice, social justice on the planet somehow, somewhere. But then the prophet says, but that's not enough. And the social reformer says, it's more than enough. That's all you want. What else do you want in life? We want something after life, after death. So the Nabi's task is far more daunting and far more formidable than anyone who wants to be the humane, compassionate social worker, and you know, philanthropist, or the, uh, what do you call it, the, the Pied Piper of uh, human beings in this world. 
So the prophets come and say that let me show you and help you how to live in this world so that you may enter Jannah. Now, people who are humane and advocates of social justice will say, if you do that, then people will not become socially just in this world and you'll be sacrificing some form of humane uh, compassion in this world and you won't allow people to do what they want to do in the name of freedom or freedom of choice or freedom of expression or freedom of religion and you're going to condemn them and you're going to do this and this and that. We say it comes with the whole package. Islam comes with the whole package. The whole package means that you have Allah's will here and you have Allah's will after you die. How do you negotiate that? That is through wahi. That is through the Quran. That is why following the Prophet Muhammad now for us in this ummah. And that requires that you, you, you in your mind believe that first of all, you are not going to simply die. You will be in front of Allah. You will be in your grave before you get there. And you need to make sure that you know how to remain sane and uh, remain comfortable there. Which means that you preach patience. Along with advocating social justice, a prophet preaches what? Patience and resolve to those who are suffering. Not because they want them to be victims and to become like sheep or lamb at the altar, but because they know that if for some reason social justice is not materialized in this world, there is room for felicity, happiness and bliss after you die. That is the hope that prophets give and social reformers don't give. Right. Now that's a daunting task. People won't believe you. That's ridiculous. I'm a victim of crime. I'm a victim of injustice in this world. And uh, if I don't get my justice in this world, then when am I going to get it? And you're saying that God will give me justice on the day of judgment. Why should I wait for that? So you need to create a community that is going to understand that you need uh, Allah's fadl and compassion and justice in this world. But more than that, you need Allah's fadl and compassion in the other world. How do you acquire both being in this world and then you follow apart? This is why this mithaq and this covenant is ghalid. It is very harsh. It's very severe. And uh, these five prophets, والسلام, represented the, 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 this ability in a human being to see the mission through. And the life of the Prophet, وسلم, as you will see in this surah, all the, the uh, other ayat reflect this. That, at, I mean, there are stories in the surah, I've just told you one of them. But the other stories in the surah will, will show you that despite every concern of the Prophet وسلم, uh, to fight uh, and to confront the social norms that were wrong, he was ordered to make sure that he spoke the truth, even though it cost him his uh, popularity. 
The sign of a sincere and true person is that he doesn't worry at the end about his popularity. He worries about the social norm, if it's wrong, to be fixed. He can't worry about the consequences of his act if the act is uh, unlawful, un-Islamic, or against the social grade. And that is a proof of a Nabi's prophethood, that the Nabi will see it through. Anyway, so we, 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 are, we, we are discussing this ayah because it is, it is the meat of a prophet's mission. This is what makes a prophet a prophet. So no matter how uh, complex and how different a social setting uh, changes over time, the Nabi's mission is, remains the same. It doesn't change. Every Nabi has the same mission. What is that? To deliver human beings from the potential wrath of God and potential eternal destruction. And in order for him to do that, he has to lay down the foundations for social justice. If you want to call it that. We don't like the term. Anyway, that's the only term uh, you will understand in this audience. So we're using it. In this world, how, how do you balance it to that if, if you become a Muslim, Allah wants you to do this, and Allah wants you to do this, then you have to become the role model. So unless you're the role model, nobody will be able to follow you because there's no practical example. When Muslims say we follow the Prophet وسلم, as I mentioned last week, in their intellectual thought and in, in, their, in their social practices and norms, etc., it becomes very daunting, especially when everything's going against the grain as we find in this country, or perhaps even in other parts of the world, where it is very difficult to be visibly Muslim. Right. I'm sure it's very difficult and daunting for some of you when you go to work nowadays and say that I am Muslim. I mean, you, go to, you go into your workplace and your job and your company. Assalamu alaikum guys, guess what? I'm a Muslim. I've arrived. If you can do that, great, subhanAllah. You're a champion. Allah keeps you and preserve you. But most people will be so insecure and so, uh, I would say, uh, reserved about announcing openly that they are Muslim because of the circumstances around you. And you know, that's fine. We can understand that. And we appreciate that. Now, for a Nabi, he can't do that. What does a Nabi do? He has to announce he is a Nabi. No matter what the consequences are. So you can imagine that everybody in Makkah and uh, the, the Quraysh, especially where, where you are surrounded by, the Kaaba is surrounded by 360 idols, okay, and they're worshipping idols and they're all polytheists and they're committing shirk and uh, all of that good stuff, wrong stuff. And the Prophet goes there and says, hey, guess what guys, everything you're doing here is wrong. Do you know how much courage that requires? How much resolve? How much uh, persistence? And uh, how many forms of anxieties that went through the Prophet's mind as, as he's been prepared to say this and to do this? He's a human being, right? So he went through the same human emotions as we do. 
for him to stand there in Mecca or on the Mount of Safa and declare, announce, hey look, I'm a Nabi of Allah and what you are doing is wrong and if you don't follow me, you're going to go to hell. Okay? Hell's coming to you, brother. And they gave him hell. Literally. Right? So that's what I'm saying. Now, the social reformist doesn't have this problem. Because he's not talking about the Akhirah. He's not talking about hell. He's not talking about felicity and salvation. He's talking about how human beings need to improve their lives in this world. And that is it. Whereas the Nabi is doing both. This and that. Because the, 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 the objection to one of the many objections against the Prophet ﷺ was that the, 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 the pagan Arabs and some of the Quraysh didn't like the idea that he was promoting values for uh, slaves, social values for slaves, and he was promoting social values for orphans, and he was promoting social values for neighbors, and social values for uh, widows, and social values for distribution of inheritance, and all of that. They didn't like that stuff. So now, it isn't that, that when a Nabi, a religious figure, comes in, that he is discarding a human being's uh, ability to live peacefully on earth. He's not saying that. He's saying that you live peacefully here on earth and you prepare yourself so that you live peacefully after you die. That's the difference between the two. So this resolve is here, meaning the resolve of a reformer and a political leader and what have you in this, in this day and age. And the resolve of a Nabi, because the resolve of the Nabi requires much more resolve than any other human being could must and think of. That is how we see this ayah being played out in the seerah of the Anbiya salam, and in this surah. So this ayah is now uh, a precursor and a prelude to the story of the Khandaq, the battle of the ditch. لِيَسَلَ الصَّادِقِينَ عَنْ صِدْقِهِمْ وَعَدَّ لِلْكَافِرِينَ عَذَابٍ أَلِيمًا So that eventually, consequentially, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to ask those who are truthful about their truth. Did you believe in the truth? And did you stand up for the truth? Number two. And that's so that the, he is preparing for those who disbelieve in him and in the akhirah. A very doom very painful punishment and we seek refuge from that. Meaning that is the consequence of people who reject Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's ayat uh, that they, they, they all have to be warned about this potential outcome. Okay. So this surah is about uh, enhancing uh, the uh, station of prophethood and enhancing the role of Muhammad وسلم, as khatibun nabiyyim that he is the last and seal of all prophets and the last and seal of all prophets, must be the role model for all of humanity. Meaning that after him there is no Nabi, and since there is no Nabi after him, any human being's uh, problems and issues can be found uh, to have a solution in the life and sunnah of Muhammad If The people who lived during the time of Nuh, they found now uh, an example in the life of Nuh because he lived for almost a millennium. 
Do this society changes every 20 years, 40 years, 100 years, doesn't matter, okay? Even if it changes every 100 years. So in 900 years, uh, there were nine changes in human society and civilization. They all, despite their changes, found a role model in whom? Nuh, alayhi salam. So now, that is a prelude to Muhammad, sallallahu life, where after he left this world, every human being who has any issue, whether it's worldly, or whether it's from the, for the other world, will find an example and a solution in the seal of Muhammad This is what this ayah is. So that Allah will ask those who are truthful, are you truthful enough to say, I want to find a solution to my problem that allows me to live here and to live in the other world? Then you will find an example and you will find a solution in the sunnah of Muhammad which will be the conclusion of the story of the Khandaq. And we will discuss that when we get there, inshallah. Jazakumullah khair. We will see you all soon. Subhanallah, alhamdulillah, subhanallah, alhamdulillah. Inshallah, la ilaha illa, and then we'll start with